It's amazing, isn't it, how much things have changed over the last three or four weeks. I clearly remember four weeks ago needing to go to the grocery store because we actually needed toilet paper. We were low. And I looked at the shelves and there were so many different options. Pillow weave and soft touch and ultra plush. And I had a conundrum. I had to make a decision. And now three or four weeks later, it doesn't really matter anymore, does it? Whether it's single ply or the cardboard roll, we take whatever's available as long as it gets the job done. And we just take what's there and we're happy to just take what's available. The same thing's true with bread. I clearly remember about a month ago being in No Frills grocery store and there's all these different options. White bread, whole wheat bread, oat bread, rye bread. Oh my goodness, there's the squirrely bread. And we had this decision to make and now we just take the two loaves of whatever, that we're allowed to of whatever's available and we're just happy with the results. Similarly in our culture, the things that we value in people is, have changed radically as well. And people that we held high as heroes or leaders in our society, people like these folk, and I'm sorry, Kevin, for doing this, have now adjusted to become heroes like this. And in a similar vein within the church, the things that we once held high or held tightly to are radically changing as we go through this pandemic time. I can clearly remember being in a meeting about a month ago with some friends and saying, oh man, if only we could have this, it would be so great. And now four weeks later, I look back at that meeting and I say, man, was that ever superfluous? Was that ever unnecessary? Now the things that are sort of rising up, the things that we're holding on tightly to, they just seem to embrace things more like we see in the early church. Things like drawing near to Jesus. Things like supporting one another. Things like the sharing of resources and things like prayer. There appears to be this humbling that's taking place in our culture both outside the doors of the church and inside. And I've got to be honest, friends, I'm finding it incredibly freeing and incredibly exciting. I don't like the uncertainty of what these days are bringing to us, but I'm really excited about this refining process, this refreshment, this renewal that is rising up and coming to the surface. There's this renewed focus on things that are important again and the embrace of sacrifice, both with Christ and for each other. I'm going to encourage us this morning to open our Bibles to John chapter 12, verse 12. We want to talk through on Palm Sunday the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and how in a similar vein to the world and realities that we live in now, Jesus enters into what I would call the eye of the storm. He enters into a time in the life of the Israelite people where there too is this refreshment taking place, this renewal, this refining process where Jesus is bringing to the surface something that these people actually needed as opposed to something that they wanted. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them along and follow from home and just read these words as we take a few moments this morning to learn the important lessons that I believe Jesus was bringing to the table and that he wants to show us here in the midst of COVID-19. So I'll read this for us and you can follow along. I think there's going to be words on the screen as well. And you can hear these words as we receive them from Jesus, his truths and his promises here today. Let's read together. The next day, the great cloud that had come for the festival heard from Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. And only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole whole world has gone after him. The The story of the triumphal entry is fascinating for many reasons, but perhaps one of the most significant is the way in which Jesus declares himself to be king. The symbolism in this passage is rich, friends. And it reaches back over and over to Old Testament prophecy, fulfilling the truth that the Messiah was coming. And on this day in Jerusalem, indeed, he arrives. And he declares himself to be king over the people that were assembled there that day. To the Jewish crowd that's assembled there, their minds are blowing up. They're realizing that the promises and the truths that God had promised to them were actually coming to light. They were coming into fruition before their very own eyes. And as they are realizing this, uh, their hearts are leaping. They're literally falling to their knees and worshiping the fact that, that their Messiah had arrived and that their king had come. Jesus has just finished a meal with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and word is spreading uh, about the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and now as he leaves their home in Bethany and as he comes into Jerusalem, a huge crowd assembles. We know from scholarly work that on this day approximately three million people are in Jerusalem because of the Passover festival. And yet as three million people are assembled there, I'm going to suggest that there are four audiences that are present. Four audiences that have have come together for the Passover festival or who are there amongst the Passover festival. And and as they're there, I think we have to take uh, note of the sharp contrasts between the audiences who are present and the audience that's engaging. The first audience that were aware of this day are probably those who would be the sightseers. People who have just come to see what the commotion is all about. They're standing on the sidelines and they're looking over shoulders. Maybe some are even amongst the big crowd that's assembled. And they're just looking and seeing what's going on. They're there just for a moment. They're there just, and they're enamored by the sensationalism and the publicity of this moment. And they're, they're there, but they seldom stick around. And they aren't really engaged. The second is the religious crowd. And we see clear evidence of this crowd here in John chapter 12. They're there and they're taking measurements of the moment. They know the words of prophecy, but they're measuring and seeing if this is actually the, the prophetic word that's coming true. They're critical in spirit. They have exact expectations about what their king was supposed to be like. And about who he was supposed to be. He was to be a conqueror. He was to to rule with authority. He was to be powerful. He was to be mighty. And, And, you know, if he was rich, that was a bonus as well. 
He was coming to affect the external realities of their lives. And it was, it was with the same expectation that they measured his life. The external appearances of him were the things that they measured. And so that to, this too, this audience is fickle. And as soon as things don't uh, change in the right way, or as soon as things don't go in the right direction, they move on with very hard hearts and very critical spirits. Well, the third audience that was there that we actually don't read about is the apathetic audience. The audience that just didn't bother to show up that day. They didn't care or realize what was taking place. And so they're in their businesses. They're in their homes. They're staying away either because they don't care or they don't understand. Their lives are unaffected by the reality that the Messiah had arrived. They're disengaged people. And really, what is taking place this day has no effect upon their life. And lastly, there's this huge crowd of what I'll call the humble followers. People who had been following and tracking with Jesus, people who had humbled themselves and started to follow him. They had their rhythms and they had their practices in the Passover festival, but they realize what's going on. And so they humble themselves. They sacrifice the, the celebration and the party and they come to worship at the feet of Jesus. This is a huge crowd. How big, we don't actually know. But think about it this way. Three million people and those that are reporting in the story, and in this case, John, are saying that this crowd is massive. Different translations use different words. Huge, massive, big, significant. These are pilgrims who've come to Jerusalem. And now people who are worshiping at the feet of Jesus. They had seen his ministry. They had seen his miracles. And through it all, they humbled themselves to allow Jesus to touch their life, both, phys both physically and spiritually, recognizing the significance of this moment. They realized that he's the answer to, their to the prophecies, that he is the different kind of king that they've been waiting for. They know that this is the long-awaited Messiah. And as they do, as they worship him, I think we have to take note of these audiences because there's one that's completely engaged and there are three that really are fickle and absent. They're critical and they're disconnected. And when, they look, when we look to the end of this passage in verse 19, we see that there's, there's at least one portion of this audience that's throwing up their hands and saying we've lost. And here's where I want to go with all of this. The reality is, is that as we journey through another storm in life, and maybe on this Sunday, we're sort of similarly finding ourselves in the eye of the storm. We're anticipating that there's great strife and struggle to come. We know that there's been some already and there's more to come. And in the eye of the storm, our posture with Jesus is critically important because in the flesh, in our human earthly condition, we too can find ourselves relating to three of the audiences that were present that day. Either we're quickly looking at what's going on and then we're dismissing ourselves. Either we're apathetic or we're super critical of these times. Wondering when Jesus is going to show up. Wondering when Jesus is going to deliver for us what we think we actually need, but actually what we actually want. We look at the situation and, and in the flesh, our propensity during the struggle is to hunker down. It's to hoard. It's to provide for ourselves. But what Jesus shows us here in his own life and ministry 
is that if we can humble ourselves like the humble followers and share with others and live with open hands and sacrifice and allow him to work in us and through us, even in seasons like COVID-19, then our experience during times of struggle will be very different than one of the other three audiences. If we can embrace this posture of humility and sacrifice, then on the other side of this journey, we are going to discover, much like these humble pilgrims, a life and a sense of abundance and strength to carry on. We will find ourselves able to worship even in the darkest hour. Well, the other three audiences will find themselves like we will as well. That life, when it becomes about control and, and about measuring the external things, will be filled with scarcity, anxiety, panic, and grief. And so friends, lean in with me here for just a moment. Lean in with me here and hear these words. That if during times in our life like COVID-19, we can humble ourselves and we can let Jesus be king, and we can allow him to shape and work in our life and respond, and if we can respond to the leadings and promptings, even when it seems crazy, then we will discover the value for these days and we will discover the value for the season as Jesus longs for us to know. And we will come out on the back end of this journey thriving and renewed rather than defeated and bitter and dried up. And I'm not talking about the physical provisions that we have to work with in life. And I think Jesus actually cares about those things. But rather I'm talking about the condition of our heart and the condition of our soul to carry forward and to continue to worship and thrive as Jesus longs for us to do. As we move on here, I want to talk about the kind of king who's entering into the streets of Jerusalem this day. For three of these audiences, their expectation was a dominant, authoritative, crown-wearing, horse-riding, shoulders-back-straight, regal kind of a king. A king who would get things done. A king who would grow the economy. A king who would protect his people. A king who would be the voice of reason. Who would make the big decisions. Who would collect the taxes. Who would rule and reign over the kingdom. Who would get the pipeline through. And make a difference in their lives. In an external sense. For three of these audiences, they were focused on, on creating... They wanted a king who would create impact over the external realities of their lives. And they realized... and and recognized that this king would be the contract between the sovereign and between the people, between the subjects. But as Jesus comes into Jerusalem that day, to the first three audiences as we previously talked about, they missed the significance of what was going on. And now even in the way that he rode in, in an unexpected, in an unexpected way, he strongly communicates that he didn't come necessarily to affect the external realities of their life. But instead, he came to affect the heart. He came to bring peace to the inside of their souls and their beings. And give to this audience and to these people something that they actually needed. Rather than something that they wanted. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem in verse 14, riding on a donkey, he is communicating to them a profound message that he was a different kind of king. 
And you know what? When we look at a donkey and when we, when we read this story, we see the humility of it. But maybe we don't capture the essence of what Jesus is saying here. In the Western world, a donkey is something that is looked upon as a symbol of lowliness and, and spite. A donkey is despised. We kind of laugh at the donkey in our culture today. But into the Middle Eastern ancient culture, the donkey was a noble character. Kings and emperors, royal people would ride donkeys in seasons of peace. And it sends, it sends a very powerful message to the people. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Really what he's doing is he's acknowledging uh, the beginning of this gospel work that's taking place in the life of the Israelite people and indeed in our lives today. He's taking the camera from the 30,000 foot level into the 1,000 foot range as we begin the Passion Week and the, and the story of the cross. And he's saying to them, something different is going to take place here. And so pay attention and lean in with me. At verse 14 here, as Jesus rides in on a donkey, there's a quotation that comes directly from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And there's this messianic claim that's taking place. Jesus is claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah. He's claiming to be the different kind of king. And as we look at this week, we could possibly miss the message that's being sent. We could just say there's a humility to it. There's a simple answer to a prophetic word. But there's so much more that's taking place. And there's this important inference that, that is being spoken to here. That really is given throughout all of scripture. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. There's this story and this message. That Jesus was coming to save the lost. That Jesus was coming to bring peace. That Jesus was coming to change us for eternity and not just for the moment of the external comforts of the world that we live in. But rather he's bringing peace to our souls for eternity. And so it becomes critical that we recognize that what Jesus is doing here is something profoundly different. And even in the midst of, of COVID-19, what Jesus wants to do in us is something profoundly different than sometimes even the things that we hope for. Jesus wants to bring peace to our hearts. He wants to shape our heart. He wants to change our hearts so that we too can experience the kingdom of God. This is what he's ruling and reigning over. Yes, our physical world, but also our spiritual world and our experiences in both of these paradigms. He's coming to touch us and to change us. And this is what we need to see here. Jesus in Matthew 18 verse 11 says, it says there, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And to these audiences this day, there's this profound message that you are lost. You are hopeless without me coming in as your Messiah. And the same message is being sent forward to us here today. We are lost people. We're focused on the wrong things. And so we have to take notice and we have to pay attention to the message that Jesus is saying here. That he's coming to bring good news. He's coming to change eternity. He's coming to build his kingdom through his people and in his people. And as such, our experiences through times like this can and will be profoundly different if we can humble ourselves and sacrifice ourselves to embrace the different king. And like I said before, I say it again, 
The scripture prophetically tells us that this is coming and that this is available to us both then and now. It shows to us over and over and over again that Jesus is coming to implement God's plan that will affect sometimes the external realities of life, but more than this, that will touch our hearts and that will bless us. And to receive it, he just simply asks that we humble ourselves, that we bow and acknowledge the different kind of king that he is and receive him and embrace him as Lord and Savior. This past week, I felt like Jesus gave to me the verse from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's a verse that Jamie Hargrave, who spoke last Sunday, shared with with his son Payton as he got baptized in this tank uh, about a year ago. And I think it captures the essence of what Jesus wants us to find here in these moments. It says this, He's shown you, O mortal God, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is sacrifice, friends. This is selflessness. This is humility. And that's God's kingdom. The last number of weeks have been filled with just anxiety. They're scary. They're fluid. Each day is different than the day previous. And probably similar to you, I'm looking at the stats and the charts and the graphs. And I'm looking forward and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing in all of this. It doesn't make sense. I'm scared and I'm anxious about what tomorrow's going to hold for me. But through it all, I've had this ongoing sense that Jesus is leaning in with us. With the church and with the bride. And he's looking at us and he's saying, let me show you the better way. Let me show you how I can reshape your heart. He's saying to us things like, let's take some time to work on what's really important. Let's make some of the things that are important in the kingdom of God important in the world again. Let's take some time to make some things right. Through it all, I think he's showing to us what uh, the beautiful picture of his kingdom is actually supposed to look like. I think he's saying let's place value in things like relationships again with God and with each other. I feel like he's saying let's place value in taking care of each other and taking care of the poor. I think he's saying let's take more time to look up rather than looking at ourselves in the mirror. And I think he's saying let's get on our knees. Let's pray and let's worship. Let's come with adoration and awe and allow Jesus with hands held out and hearts held high to touch our lives in fresh ways and new ways. Friends, I really am convinced that there's this humbling process that's taking place in our world. And if we can be the kind of people that will humble ourselves and sacrifice even things like comfort, then we're going to discover the value of this season and we're going to understand now what these humble followers knew and discovered then. That there is a Messiah who is available for us. That he has stepped out of heaven and he's stepping into our lives. And we too can worship him if we make ourselves available. I don't want to encourage us this morning that on the front end of the Passion Week, that we too, if we're not careful in this season, will miss the Messiah unless we embrace sacrifice 
and unless we humble ourselves and allow him to touch us. And I'm not going to pretend for a moment like I have all the answers for why we journey through seasons like this. It doesn't always make sense. We have to grieve some of the things we've lost. But I think, too, we also have to embrace some of the things that are being given to us. And they're gifts, friends. And I think we need to understand that there's this invitation in front of us here today to stop, to open our hearts, to lay down the palm branches of life and to assume a posture of worship. And as we do, I'm going to suggest to us that maybe that thing that we've been looking for in our heart for so long, maybe that thing that we've been longing for, maybe that touch, maybe that blessing, maybe that healing, whatever it is that Jesus has for us, maybe we're going to find it as we bow down and as we worship him. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Receive him today. We're going to invite our elders to share a quick message with us. And so I'm going to ask that you lean in with them for a moment. And then Pastor Justine's going to come and just close off our service with a final word. Let's hear from Emory now.